Hello, everybody, and welcome to Life Herself Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's video. I'm super excited that you're here. I'm excited that I'm here. I am also very grateful because I feel like this is our space now. This is where we have these deep conversations that we may sometimes not get the opportunity to have with other people. Um, Sometimes it's very difficult to dig deep. It's very difficult to get raw. And the truth sometimes is difficult, even when we're telling ourselves. So I'm really hoping that we create this community and this space where you can actually be truthful and raw with yourself, but also be self-reflective, right? And I really want you to, to see these conversations as an us kind of conversation, because although it's me talking to myself, <laughs> <laughs> and talking to the camera, but I'm I'm envisioning you, you know, I am envisioning all of us. I really want us to see this as the sort of space where we get to grow, the sort of space where there is no judgment, even internally and even, even in your in your internal dialogue, there is no judgment. We're learning, we're growing, we're moving, we're holding hands and moving through life together. That's what I see the space as. Before I start the episode, I just want to remind you that there is a video on YouTube. So if you're someone who enjoys watching YouTube videos, then there's a video. I'm looking at the camera now. So hi to everyone who's watching on YouTube. It's youtube.com forward slash joy ogude. J-O-Y-O-G-U-D-E. October Golf Umbrella Delta Echo. (laughs) And um, if you're watching on YouTube and you're thinking, wow, I'd just love to listen to this episode, then go ahead and follow. We're on all podcast platforms. So Spotify, Apple, iHeart, Podbean, wherever you are, wherever you get your podcast from, just type in life herself or type in Joy Agude and it should come up. Um, follow, like, share with your friends, spread the word. Let's get as many people to get value from this. My vision really is to bring hope to a lot of people because quite frankly, that is what I have needed in the last two years and I will not stop until I accomplish my vision of bringing hope to people exactly where they need to hear it. In today's video, we're going to be talking about fear, how to get rid of your fear right now. And this video, I feel like is a bit of a follow on from last week's episode where we talked about self-sabotaging and we talked about limiting beliefs and we talked about all the different things that we do like subconscious thinking, you know, on we're constantly on autopilot. Um, and I, I pretty much my aim with that episode was really to just bring to the surface of your mind that we are functioning on autopilot for the most part. And it has its pros and it has its cons, but where we need to make sure it works in our favor is knowing that we are functioning in autopilot. And by knowing that we can program a lot of things to happen in autopilot, but also make sure that we are consciously thinking, we're consciously living, we're consciously making decisions. But at the very end of that episode, the one thing that I tried to get across was the idea of fear. The biggest reason that we all self-sabotage is fear. And It's all well and good knowing that we're thinking subconsciously. It's all well and good knowing that we have limiting beliefs. It's all well and good knowing that we have thoughts and our thoughts are not us, which we established in the last episode. However, what I wanted to do in today's episode is give us some practical steps. Once you know all of those things, I wanted to give us some practical steps for overcoming fear. Fear is a big thing and, and fear is a is a subjective thing too. You know, we all have fear. I think some people would like to think that the people who they see making content perhaps like me or they see talking with a lot of conviction and a lot of confidence maybe, they might think that we don't have fear. I, I mean, I hear that a lot in my personal life. Like even my family members have said in the past, like, oh, you're what could possibly be wrong with you? You're not afraid of anything. Like you just do things. And it's like, actually, I'm quite the opposite. I'm the exact opposite. Like you, I'm fearful. I really am. But I push through my fear. Especially, I now know from 
the depths of my soul, I now know that even when I'm fearful, especially when I'm fearful, that's when I need to push through. That's exactly when I need to go through the resistance because if you allow fear to consume you, you're going in the wrong direction. It's just downhill, 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 downhill from there. So in today's episode, I really wanted to share some practical tips, some things that I've understood that help me deal with fear in a very practical way. Before I tell you my story, I will tell you how this episode's gonna go. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna tell you my story. That's the first thing I'd do. Um, but I'm also gonna tell you about this um, teaching that I've recently heard um, that has helped me compartmentalize it. I feel like it's, they're things that I've been doing already and I'll break it down for you as to how I've been doing those things. But this teaching it was like the, the light bulb moment. It almost sort of put words to what my actions were already doing, right? And I'm going to break it down for you. I'm going to talk about the rough times that I've had. So this teaching is really all about patterns. It comes from Tony Robbins, but it's all about patterns, recognizing patterns, understanding that they're patterns. So in my situation, three examples where I've just been so low, like ridiculously down, like my back to the wall. And I'm like, there's nothing else, right? There's nowhere else from here. Like we're done. What the middle point was for me, you know, like from hitting rock bottom <laughs> to what do I do now? And to the point where I actually got out of that, you know, like how did I get out of those things? Um, and the reason why I'm going to break that down for you is because I actually want you to do the same. I want you to reflect on situations where in the past, where you've really struggled, where you've really thought, oh my God, there is no way out. Like we're done. I want you to reflect on those situations and then figure out your patterns, figure out how you got out of there. So I'm going to use mine as examples to kind of help you guide you through that process. After that, I will be talking about five lessons I've learned from looking back at my patterns. You know, it's it's amazing, really, because what that does is you're kind of stepping out of yourself, right, and going, oh, I did this. I did that. I did that. By looking back and recognizing your patterns, you're able to figure out who you are, how you deal with situations, and therefore it gives you an example or an idea of how to deal with the situation you're in now, because this is what you've done in the past that worked. Therefore, I can do it again, <laughs> right? So it really helps you create that foundation of who you are and how you've dealt with things and how you can move on from where you are. So we're going to talk about that. And then the latter end of this video, I'm going to be giving you five top tips for getting rid of your fear right now. I'm going to break it down. And in each one, we're going to talk about how. You know, because I haven't been in these sort of back against the wall, rock bottom situations. Having someone just tell me what they've done doesn't necessarily set the tone, but it's not my situation, right? What I need them to tell me is what can I do right now, right? And those are the things that we're going to break down. So I'm really excited for today's video um, slash podcast. I'm super excited to share all of the things that I've learned. And I, again, I just want to remind you that I'm still learning myself. And in fact, beyond still learning, the reason why I'm sharing a lot of these things and sharing my story, but also sharing the tips, the things that I've used um, and literally the entire reason I've created this podcast is because this is what I need. This is what I'm consuming. This is the hope that I need. This is the kind of information that if I had this as a nine-year-old girl, if I had that, which was when I had my first massive trauma, if I had this, my God, my life would be so different. I'm saving you time because I wish I had it. And even now, I reach out to other people's podcasts. I reach out to this kind of information to help me get through my toughest times. I really hope that it ends up being that for you. I want to start by sharing my story with you. I think a lot of people that see me, maybe for the first time, but also people in my actual life, in my reality, would consider me 
confident, bubbly, she speaks with conviction. And whilst I agree with all of those things, it's all a work in progress. And the reality is I didn't start off that way at all. Like I come from a polygamous home. So just to set the scene a little bit for you, a polygamous home basically means that your father, well, in my case anyway, is married to different women, different wives. Everybody knows of everybody. And actually I grew up in the sort of setting where two wives lived together. So my dad had this huge house (laughs) and it was like, Uh, imagine like a drawing of a kid, right? And there's like a wall in the middle. So there's a four bedroom house on one side, a four bedroom house on the other side, and they're mirror opposites of each other. Two story houses. And my mom had one side, my mom and us. So I've got brothers and me, I'm the only girl for my mom and dad. And then my stepmom had one side. And then at the back of the house, we had like three three bedroom houses. And that was for my dad's family. So he like, you know, he was this generous person that generously brought his entire family to live with us and their kids and, you know, whatever. But I had cousins and aunties and uncles and they all lived there. So it was a massive house. My house was busy. It just had lots of people in it, right? And um, my biggest trauma and earliest and first trauma actually happened when I was nine years old. And I'm going to be a little bit bubbly about this because I don't like to cry. (laughs) Because I'm working through these traumas now, you know, so it's all very raw for me. So if if I act weird about it, I'm just coping. Don't judge me. It's all good. I'm 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 in my feelings about it right now. This is the stage of my life where everything's coming back to me and you know having sort of done a 360 with losing my dad recently. It really puts life into perspective. You really start to think about wow, this is where we started and this is where we are right now. And it really brings it all together. So bear with me if I'm acting a little bit. I'm, I'm really trying to stay on top of my emotions and not cry at all. <laughs> um, so anyway, when I was nine, around eight and nine, my parents divorced, right? So as a little girl, and, and in my culture, where my dad's from in Nigeria, because my parents are from two different parts of Nigeria, but where my dad's from, the man actually gets to keep the kids. And to be honest, knowing my dad, doesn't matter where he's from he was keeping his children you know my parents divorce was messy wasn't a typical go your way I'll go my way my mom was physically forced out she there was a lot of physical abuse from his family mainly to to, towards her and I I remember all of this like just being a child like just being so afraid that they were going to kill her I just fear that fear is, is is never left me even till now I have these very vivid memories and and sort of visions of like the days you know that some of these things took place and then uh, my mom was forced to leave we weren't even allowed contact you know there was there was so mean about it um we weren't allowed contact we weren't allowed to speak to her this was in the 90s so you know we didn't have mobile phones actually at the time I mean we we ended up having mobile phones through the process but you know initially it was just sort of landlines and stuff so we weren't allowed to speak to her we weren't allowed to communicate and she had taken my younger brother because he was very ill my dad allowed her to take him but she left three of us behind and and then I became the youngest uh, because I was baby number three and my two brothers ended up in boarding school right and looking back I just feel like that was their way of just getting rid of my brothers but essentially just meant that I grew up you know, as this young girl by myself with these adults, like not even just adults, like evil (laughs) in the way that I would describe them. Adults, just not very nice people, you know, um, who were mean to my mom, got rid of my mom, like pretty much did all sorts of things that I wouldn't want to speak because at the end of the day, um, that's also my mom's story to tell, not just mine. I just grew up fearful. I grew up afraid that they might poison me. I grew up afraid that one day I'd die and I'd never see my mom. I grew up afraid that, you know, that even my dad would die one day. I I remember this recurring dream that I had for literally my whole life, where my dad would get so ill, the people around him were just around him for money and and they would just, you know, keep him, just about keep him alive to sign checks. Honestly, this is, it's graphic and it's deep and I, I apologize if it's a lot, but I'm trying to get you to understand how deep my fear goes, you know, like really deep. I had the sort of fear that a nine-year-old girl should not have. 
you know, and that fear has lived with me. But it's also become a lot of different things as I've gotten older. You know, it's become the fear of failure. It's become the fear of success. It's become the fear of losing the people around you. It's become the fear of never being good enough or the fear of, you know, being this girl who fought so much um, because I did as a child and as a young adult to the point where I just sort of feel like even in relationships, it's going to be difficult to find someone who who gets me, you know, who really gets my, my struggle, who really gets me. That fear has really developed into a lot of things, a lot of things over the years. I'm not someone who is not fearful. I'm actually like so fearful. But what what scares me the most is allowing that fear to consume me. So that's one thing that I've always known that I just have to push through. I just have to, you know, move past it. I just have to apply myself and just go for it. If Whether it's starting a business or leaving a relationship or whatever the case might be. And at this point, I actually want to just introduce um, this this teaching that I've just heard, like Tony Robbins, I actually heard it yesterday. And I I wanted to introduce this teaching that he, this concept of patterns, you know, it's not new, the idea of patterns, he hasn't made this up. And it's something that, you know, everybody would be aware of, like, we know that there are seasons, right, you know, that there's winter, and you know, that there's fall or autumn, (laughs) you know, that there's summer, you know, that there's spring, right? We all know now that there are patterns in seasons, in the world, in work. You know that there's time to work and there's time for a holiday. You know that when you have kids, there's a time to breastfeed and there's a time to stop breastfeeding. Like we know that these patterns exist. We know that life goes around in in patterns, if you like, right? And what I found really interesting about the way that he explained it was you know, number one, understanding the patterns and and remembering that not everything lasts forever, right? That there is a season for everything. Whether you're sad, you're fearful, you're anxious, you're depressed, you're you're successful or, or not, it doesn't matter. There is just a season for everything. And then he talked about recognizing your own patterns, which is actually what I want us to focus on today. Recognizing how looking back at your situation and thinking, how did I deal with the things that were really difficult for me at the time? You know, because When I was that young girl, I never thought I would see my mom again. I never thought I would get away from it. I never even thought that I would be alive. In fact, I don't even think that anybody really considered me in in the whole picture. Like, I really, I just don't remember anyone sitting with me as a child and going, I have high hopes for you. You're going to do really well. Like, I remember, like, my dad and I was so, 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 so close. But I also come from a culture where it's all about the boys. It's the girls are not meant to be any form of successful. The girls are just, we're just cute. You know, we're just like, oh, hey, you know, we're cute. That's how I think that's how my dad saw me. You know, the idea of of just recognizing your own patterns and knowing that you have the strength inside of you to push past whatever it is, regardless of what people think of you or what situation you're in or whether people thought you would make it or whatever. Looking back at what you've done at every point in your life when things have been really hard and how you managed to overcome them, right? And then also just when you did it, what what was the outcome? You know, like what came out of that? Like what did you do differently? But what came out of that? How did that end up for you? Um, and that's, these are the things that I really want us to focus on today. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the times when I felt really rough, like when I hit rock bottom, what what I was thinking and, and how I really overcame them, right? So the first example I'm going to use is clearly the obvious one, my biggest trauma when I was nine, um, that nine-year-old me just being super scared and all the different things. And mind you, this entire process lasted for eight years. So it wasn't just, oh, I was nine years old, this happened, and then my life was better. No, I didn't see my mom for eight years of my life, my actual developing life. Can you imagine like going through puberty, going through like starting your periods, like talking to boys and like all of these different things, like the the most formative stages of my life. And I was just alone. Like I was just forgotten, you know? And looking back now, I, I certainly feel that 
you know, the one thing that kept me going was my imagination. I I didn't know this and I didn't really know how to like put it into words at the time, but I just created this world in my head of imaginary friends. I had this mission inside of me that it was my job to fix this, you know, like it was my job to bring everyone back together again. It was my job to, you know, re- get reunited with my mom. And I had zero doubt. I mean, I was operating as this child, I was operating with a certain level of certainty that right now it's paralyzing to even think that I was capable of that. Like I just had this mindset of this, I had this goal, this one goal. I'm getting my mom back together. Me and my brothers are gonna see her again. We're all gonna live together as a family. I had this one goal. I didn't know how I was gonna do it. In fact, I wasn't concerned. Like when I look back, and this is all in hindsight because my nine-year-old mind was too young to even process what was going on. So this is purely all in hindsight. But I had this goal and I never for a second thought it would not be possible. And I remember because I, I was very religious at the time. I was into like going to church. I was born a Christian. I have very interesting feelings about that now. But, you know, I was so deeply embedded in the idea of, you know, being a Christian, going to church. And so my faith really strengthened it. And now I would say, because I don't consider myself a religious Christian anymore, but now I definitely say it's the vision, you know, like just just hanging on to that vision. I was like, I'm not letting it go. I'm going to see my mother again. I'm going to be with her again. I just had, there was no ifs, buts, maybes. I just Regardless of all of the fear that I was thinking, I was so focused on that goal. I basically used my imagination. So when I look back and, you know, I mean, a period of eight years and a lot of healing after that and still healing now. So it's not quite like I could sum it into sum it up into words, but that's one thing that definitely helped. I used to talk to imaginary friends in my mind. I used to assume that I was with my mom. I used to make things up. I really did. Um, and that really got me through. Now, when I was older, I moved here and I got into another relationship. So my second uh, major relationship, this was a sort of six year relationship that was draining, actually. I think that's probably the best best way to sort of put it. Um, I, I was at a point where I didn't know how to get out. It wasn't just the relationship. It was it was the person I'd become in the process of loving this other person, you know, um, going from this young girl that I've just described to you with this vision and this, you know, drive to just make things work for my family, going from that to chilling, (laughs) to going, oh, it's all good now. I'm good. You know, just relaxing. And I, I say that, you know, in a very jokey way, but just to kind of give you like a tip of the iceberg, right? Essentially, I became a shadow of myself. And this was the very first time that I realized in my adult life that I hit rock bottom. I didn't know what to do with myself. I became this really anxious person. I gained a lot of weight. I was really depressed. I mean, I remember just sitting sometimes on a sofa and just feeling like the sofa was like an extension of my body. Like if I stood up, I would have to to take the weight of the sofa with me because I was so deep into the sofa, you know, like I can't describe it, but I, I often felt heavy. I just felt like I physically couldn't move, like to the point where I'd be bursting for the loo, but I just wouldn't go because I was so anxious, so fearful, so heavy, you know, I was just, and I, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how I got there. And I remember thinking at the time I'd lost this vision. I'd lost the ability to see ahead. I'd lost the ability to imagine. I'd lost the ability to um, to even think that there was a possibility outside of that. There was another reality. There was a reality where I would be myself again or a reality where I was happy again. You know, I really lost myself in this relationship. And it To me, I think what really got me was that it mirrored my parents' relationship. You know, my mom was, there was like a 12-year age gap between my mom and my dad. And with me and this guy, there was also a 12-year age gap. And my mom was this bubbly human, from what I remember as a child anyway. And, and, you know, now she is quite bubbly. She loves to dance, she loves to sing and all of that sort of stuff. And she became this other person. You know, like I could just see a lot of the similarities and 
he continued to grow from strength to strength, in my opinion, anyway. And again, it was the same with my dad. After my parents' divorce, my mom, my mom's life changed drastically, like drastically. My dad, on the other hand, he remarried. He was good. He was making money, you know, and I literally felt like, how did I get into this situation? I was desperate. I was absolutely desperate. And because that was the very thing I was working against and away from, I think it got me even more because I'm like, how did you allow yourself to be here? You know? And I hit rock bottom. I can't explain it anymore. That was the first time I was really depressed. It was the first time I was suicidal. I didn't even know what that meant until then. It was the first time that life happened to me in my adult life. You know, I sort of felt like the first time when I was younger, I didn't have a choice. But now I'd been given this choice. I'd moved to a different country. I'd been, you know, reunited with my mom. I'd gone to university. I was doing quite well. And how did I find myself in this situation? And you know how I explained about using my mind and my imagination when I was a kid? This time around, I used my body. I... I had to shock my system out of that mindset. I, up until this point, absolutely hated exercise, hated it. If someone said, do you want to go for a run? I would literally just, I would slap them out of my way. Like I hated exercise. I mean, I grew up in a hot country. The idea of even running for the bus, like, what is that? We don't do that. No, <laughs> we sit in air conditioned cars. Like, are you kidding? But I created this thing called Move With Joy. It was at the time, it was actually called Sweat With Joy. And I, it was a, a, a live workout that I started doing. Um, this was in 2017. So one day I just woke up and I was like, I hate exercising, but guess what? I'm going to start exercising. And essentially for me at the time, it was the equivalent of, well, I wouldn't say what the equivalent was, but it was, it was me harming myself, in my opinion. It was me doing something that I really did not want to do, something that I knew I absolutely hated because the pain of that was better <laughs> than the pain of sitting in my actual pain. It was such a sad time for me. It really was, actually. And um, I, I committed myself to these live workouts. I hated the way my body looked. I absolutely, I didn't like it at all. And what I did was I said to everyone, right, we're wearing sports bras. I'd never even worn sport bra sports bras at that time. Like exposing my tummy was just not a thing, you know, just because I had a tummy, you know, and I shocked myself into doing this. I put myself in front of everyone. I said to everyone, I'm going to be here. 9 a.m. UK time every Saturday without fail and I'm gonna work out with you and I didn't even know which exercises to do like I mean I'm a physio don't get me wrong but like I do rehab exercises when it comes to sort of workouts obviously you tailor your workouts but the idea of just doing general workouts you know just jumping around in your living room with no equipment it wasn't something that I was used to that my body was used to that my mind was used to but I did it anyway because I needed to shock myself out of this suicidal, depressed, anxious state that I was in that I just couldn't see myself getting out of. And that was my outlet. That was my breakthrough. That was the point where everything changed. That was the one thing that I did to get myself out. And I remember doing some of these workouts and thinking, oh my God, you know, I was really crying in some of them, but people wouldn't know because of course I was sweating. I would wipe off the tears, but nobody would know because they just think I'm wiping off sweat. And I just had this high energy about me. And I just, I did, I did the workouts to loud music and I would would just basically just work out to this music with a crazy amount of people online. I didn't even care who joined. I was like, whoever wants to join, you can join. That's cool. You know, the numbers didn't really matter to me, but I was working through my stress. I was working through my pain. I was working through, uh, I didn't even know it at the time, but I was, I was crying out for help. I was really crying out for help, but I used my body. Um, the third time, um, the third example that I actually want to use was very recently. So my, my dad, my dear dad passed away 18 months ago, right? And then I thought I was done. I mean, I literally... I was exhausted up until that point anyway, just before he passed away. He'd been helping me out with a lot of things. He'd been helping me out with my anxiety. Again, I was quite depressed. 
Um, and he was my rock. He really was. We really connected um, at the end of his life, you know, because a lot of my traumas that I carry, you know, have him right at the center of it. As much as I loved him, I felt like there was so much that he could have done. So talking to him around that time was therapy, not because we were addressing a lot of these things head on, but because I was getting to understand his mindset. He was getting to understand mine. And I really felt like there was something underlying that wasn't said, but we both understood. Like we both knew what that was. We both knew because I tried speaking to him directly about it before, like years before he passed. And he was like, well, you're a child. You shouldn't ask questions, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't done to you. Like I knew he knew my trauma, but he was, he was, he had an ego, you know, my dad has an ego and he just wouldn't apologize for some things. He apologized for other things later on in life, but he didn't apologize for that. But I felt like we were having our own therapy just before he passed away. And um, he passed away suddenly. He was taken away suddenly. I wasn't ready. I was not ready. I was not, I was like, what? I'm sorry, what? You know, like I was not ready. And um, I really hit rock bottom again, you know, but this time in a different kind of way. You know, at this point I was like, you've been through a lot, you know, and I, I think the changing, the, the bit that got my mind changing, you know, whilst going through this whole grief, especially during that shock process where I was like, nah, it's not, it's not, it's not real. It's not happening, you know? Um, but my body just kept on moving and, and doing things because I, I suddenly had this goal to give him a good, a good funeral, like, you know, a good goodbye and make sure that everything was in place for him along with, you know, family members. But I allowed myself to go through, once that was over, I allowed myself to go through all the stages of grief and have therapy. That was the thing I did differently this time. I had therapy and then I did a lot of mindset work. I, I looked back at, you know, what I know had helped me in the past. And I did a lot of mindset work. I cut a lot of people out, you guys. Like, I literally, I was just like, if you're not feeding my mind right now, if you're not part of my peace, if you're not part, like, you're out, you know, or if I'm not giving you value, I'm out, you know? So I, I isolated myself. I literally took time and I'm still taking time and I'm still isolating myself, but in a, in a softer way now. But there was a point where I just didn't see anyone for months. I was like, I'm getting my mind set right. I'm not going out into this world living like half a person. I'm getting my mindset right. So I strengthened my mind. I started listening to podcasts. I listened to self-help stuff like this. I listen to people talk about their stories, listen to people talk about how they dealt with grief and how it made them feel or whatever. But I was feeding my mind the things that I needed from the inside. And then I got back into exercising. But this time I, I vamped it up. At this point, I've, I've realized, you know, I love exercising. I tell myself that anyway. That's what I tell myself. But I love exercising. At this point, I've realized how exercise has really helped me stay alive. You know, at this point, it's not even just I'm going to, I want to. No, it's like I'm doing it. It's not a maybe. It's not an if. It's like we're going to the gym. We're waking up. But the difference is... I've made all of these things. I've looked back and I've made all of these things a huge part of my life right now. You know, like I've made them non-negotiables. So it's not just, oh, let's go for a little walk. No, it's like I'm hitting like some PBs, like some really heavy weights, like right now, 370 kilograms on leg presses. Can we just like mm, give it up? <laughs> but, you know, I'm pushing myself beyond what I was capable of. And so when I look back at all of these patterns, I'm like, wow, you, there are things that clearly work for you, moving your body, feeding your mind, you know, isolating yourself, knowing that you can see things objectively. And from all of this, I'd love to share five lessons that I have learned <laughs> <laughs> looking back at my own patterns. Number one, at the very point where I feel like I can't go any further, where I feel like I'm done, where I feel like, na 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 this is it. This is it. We're done. At that very point, one thing I've learned about myself is I still have more in me. 
literally at that point, wherever I feel like, no, we're done. We're good. <laughs> Let's call it a day. Let's put a cap on it. At this exact point, that is where I now tell myself, you still have more in you. You know you do. You still have more in you. It's there. Where you don't feel like you can find strength, that's exactly where your strength is. Where you're afraid, that's exactly where you need to go. Wherever you feel resistance, that's exactly the direction you need to be moving in. Don't move away from it. Don't go around it. Move through it. That's where you find your strength. This is one lesson I've learned about my patterns. The second lesson I've learned is that the lower I get, the higher I bounce back. When I wrote that down today, I was like, damn, like seriously? The lower I get, the higher I bounce back. I've realized that looking back at my patterns and this is not even me boasting about like some of the, because I really, I'm being so blasé about it. The, the, these are some serious things that have happened in my life. I'm trying to keep it as light as possible. But I realized that the times I've made the most progress in my life have actually come directly after my hardest hits, like my, my rock bottom, rock bottom. I started the London Physio as a business right after my relationship broke down. So this relationship, I started that business and nothing was working for me at that point. That was the first time, like I said, I was depressed. I was suicidal. I was anxious. I didn't even know what anxiety was. I swear I'd never even fully understood anxiety up until that point. And it was right after that, I started Move With Joy, the live workouts, and I started the London Physio, my biggest achievement today. And that was the lowest point of my entire life. The first time, anyway, when I was literally like, oh my God, because I would consider losing my dad the lowest point. But the first time that I realized as an adult that I could hit rock bottom. So I feel like number two is that the lower I go, the higher I bounce back up. Number three, I've got to read this one out because it's a mouthful. Um, the extent to which I'm in control directly correlates with my visualization of the outcome. Certainty, belief with no doubt. So what I meant by that actually, and I just wrote these down just before whilst I was reflecting, because before I do these podcasts, I pretty much spend like an hour or two even just reflecting, just thinking about what I want to say and, and really just connecting with myself. I think that's what I'm doing. I, I never want to just sit down and write notes and like just share it because I'm making a video. Um, I take time to actually reflect, you know, and I, I this, this was one, it was, it was, it's just that, um, I guess the best way that I can explain this is if I feel that I can visualize the outcome, like in the moment. So whilst I'm in my depressed state or whilst I'm really struggling with my fear or my anxiety, if I can visualize the outcome, the extent to which that outcome is clear in my mind also determines whether I get there. Or when I get there, what the quality of the outcome is, if that makes sense. So I remember when I was when I was nine years old, like I really had these visions of me being with my mom. I did. I made it up in my in my mind. I didn't know what she looked like, but I I I made it up in my mind. I'd talk to my mom. I'd 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 I lived like I was with my mom. I you know when I was spending a lot of time by myself on in in my corner of the house um, by myself as a kid, like I would talk to my mom. I'd be like, "Good morning, mom," and you know I would literally just I lived it. I didn't know what that meant as a nine year old girl, but my visions were so clear of being with my mom that when I eventually eight years later was reunited with my mom it didn't feel like anything. Like it just felt, it, I honestly, I was just like, yeah, now we're reunited. <laughs> you know, like it didn't feel like, in fact, it felt familiar. Let's put it that way. It felt familiar because I'd lived that vision already. Now, the second time around, uh, when I struggled to get out of that relationship, I had no vision. I had no vision. There was no, I couldn't see beyond it. My, my fear, my anxiety, 
all of that had consumed me. I could not see beyond it. And I remember saying to my friend, I feel blind because I always have this third eye. I didn't know what to call it then, but I, I described it to her as a third eye, you know? And I remember saying to her, I just feel so blind because I can't think myself out of this. And so it took me so long to get myself out of that because I just couldn't visualize it. And so that's what I mean. The clearer my visions are, the, the more likely I am to actually achieve whatever it is I'm trying to achieve in a short space of time. Number four, the fourth lesson that I've learned from looking back at my patterns is that experience and time don't matter at all. I know that Obviously now everybody wants everything yesterday and I'm one of those people. If I order food, I want it delivered like 10 minutes before I ordered it, you know, um, because we live in a world where everything's just so quick and everything just has to happen right now, right now, right now. But we forget that time is man-made and everything has its own time. And when I look back at the, uh, the literally when I reflect on the fact that a nine-year-old me waited eight solid years to see my mom, Eight years of no hugs, eight years of nobody caring in a motherly way, eight years of, you know, going through life as a kid with people around me that just didn't like me. I mean, eight years is a long time, you know, and I know that a lot of you out there might have gone through longer. You might have lived 10, 20, 30 years, you know, hoping for a better time. But just, just know that time doesn't really matter. What matters is that you get there. How soon, how slow, that's up to the universe. There's certain things that you just can't control. And I look back and I think, if that was me now, I'd be so impatient. I'd be like, no, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. But I was just so confident in myself that it would happen at such a young age that I just waited, <laughs> you know? Like time just passed, time just passed. I just waited. And the experience part is the fact that I've never been through that situation before doesn't matter. Time doesn't matter, but your experience of that situation does not matter either. As long as I stay true to the vision, the time doesn't matter. The fact that it, I'm new to it doesn't matter. The experience itself doesn't matter. Just stay true to the vision. So I've learned now that those two things don't really play a role in my, in my experience, okay? Um, and finally, that my breakthrough moment is the exact moment that I understand everything is working in my favor. Oh my God. So we all have a moment where we're just like, okay, this is rock bottom, right? And then, you know, your back is to the wall. There's nowhere else to go. You could either give up now or you could try and push forwards, right? But in the process of pushing forwards, that might take years, that might take months, that might take, depending on your situation. But there is a point where everything changes. There's a point where you're kind of going like this, like this, and then everything changes. That point for me, the point where everything changes is the moment where I realize that everything's working in my favor, even when, when my father died, you know, I obviously I was heartbroken and I still, still am. Uh, let's not talk about that. But then it sounds ridiculous and it sounds almost selfish, but I just had to embody this feeling that the universe is working in my favor, that everything is going to be okay, that everything is, is just doing what it's meant to. And I'm part of this big process, you know, of life and it's all eventually going to work out. It's all working for my greater good. I don't know how, you know, we can all justify that, but it's all working for your greater good. I'm exhausted sharing this, like emotionally exhausted. I'm actually, I'm really pleased that I've managed not to cry because I was writing this going, how are you going to get through it, Joy? How are you going to get through it? I'm so pleased that I've actually managed not to cry, but the feeling is exhaustion. Exhaustion from even just hearing my story, hearing me tell my story, because the, these are things that I've suppressed. And because I'm exhausted, I know you're exhausted. I know you're tired. I know that in your situation, because mine, to some degree, is nothing. There are people that grew up without parents. 
there are people that were left in the bushes as as children, you know, like just left outside a fire department or hospital. Or There are people that have never met their parents. They're people whose parents did horrible things to them, you know. And I know that my story is not really the worst in the world, but I know that it's valid to me. And that's exactly how... I want you to feel about your story. Your story is important to you. And I know that you're exhausted. I know you're tired. I know you've tried. I know you're trying. I know you're digging deep. I know you're really, really trying. And I know that sometimes fear can be a lot. Fear and anxiety can be a lot. It's a physical thing. It holds you back. It stops you. It's in your gut. It's in your body. It's in how you speak and how you control yourself and your posture and everything. It takes over. It's in the tone of your voice. It's in how well you do your job. It literally just sips into everything. And it's tiring because you're trying. But these are my five tips. These are things that I really want you to try and put into practice. If you're sat there thinking, oh my God, that was me with these childhood traumas. That was me in this relationship that I wanted to get out of and I couldn't. That was me, you know, five years ago when I lost my father or my mother or my brother or my sister. Whatever it is that you're going through, even if it's none of the above and you just happen to be someone whose fear cripples them. These are five things that I'd really love for you to try, okay? So number one, I want you to stop fighting. Mm -hmm. I want you to just stop fighting it. Breathe, breathe. Like right now, right now, right this moment, just close your eyes, sit up, take in three deep breaths with me. Just breathe. That calms your nervous system. Stop fighting. Remember what I said about seasons. Everything has its season. Everything. I want you to stop fighting it. Just know that this season too shall pass. You've come through so much in your life. And the examples that I've given are my examples. But I want you to actually think about yours. And because you know that you've been through enough already, I'm sure this is not the first time in your life you're going through something similar that's, you know, really making you think that there's no way out. But there is a way out. You've done it before. This season too shall pass. Stop fighting it. Just breathe. Believe it. And in the process of doing that, I want you to think about some things. I know we've just done like a very quick breathing, three deep breaths kind of practice, but think about the things that help you. If you haven't tried meditation, try it. Try breathing. Just try taking three deep breaths. That's it. Whenever you feel fearful, whenever you feel anxious, take in three deep breaths. If you're outside or you're at work or whatever, just take in three deep, 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 deep breaths. And when I say deep breaths, I mean breaths where you actually feel your your thoracic spine, (laughs) such a technical term, but you feel your belly expand outwards, not forwards, but outwards. Get the breaths really deep inside you and just breathe out, right? Just take in three deep breaths. But in the mornings or in the evenings or when you have a little bit more time, spend 10 minutes just being quiet, 10 minutes meditating. Meditating doesn't have to be like super guru meditation. No, spend 10 minutes just thinking, spend 10 minutes reflecting, spend 10 minutes just taking it in. Okay. As well as meditation, think about the idea of input, right? Think about what you're taking in, the people you're surrounding yourself you know, with or by whichever one it is, the people that are around you, what conversations are you having? Is everyone complaining about things that have happened to them? Is everyone just 
complaining, you know, are people putting you down? Are people increasing your fear? Are you watching too much of the news? Are you watching too much bad stuff or things that pretty much make your fear worse? Shut them out. Start listening to podcasts. Listen to stuff like this. Listen to people like Tony Robbins. You know, listen to whatever feeds your soul, whatever takes you away from this idea of being so fearful that it paralyzes you. And when it comes to your output, it's the same thing. The things you say with your mouth has power or the things you say have power. So whatever you're talking about, the conversations you find yourself in, how you treat other people, it's so important. It's the input and the output. You have to get your brain in this state of no fear. Start having positive conversations with other people. Start treating other people nicely. Start treating other people with respect and kindness. But stop fighting it. Just stop fighting it. Okay? Number two, detach yourself from the emotion of the story that you tell yourself. Rewrite your story. Detaching yourself from the emotion um, is what, in case you haven't realized, what I've practiced today. Now, normally when I think about my story, it paralyzes me. I cry. I don't tell it because it's it's deep. It's painful. It's my story. It's my life. It's, it's the reason why I'm who I am today, you know, in quote, the negative sides too, right? And it gets to me. But I've started to realize that if you see it for what it is, if you see it not for worse than it is, not for the emotion that you've attached to it, if you see it as exactly what it is, a story, then it gives you the power to step back and rewrite it, right? So the story that I had been telling myself as a nine-year-old, you know, well, not as a nine-year-old girl, as an adult about my nine-year-old self, the story that I had been carrying so deeply in my heart is this girl that was abandoned, this girl that, you know, everything I've said, didn't see her mom, didn't grow up with a woman who cared about her. um, And that led to a lot of different things. But in reality, when I think back, you know, for this episode, I was really thinking back and I was like, let's rewrite that. You were brave. You were a brave nine-year-old girl. You were so determined. You just, you were unshakable. Your faith was unshakable. You had this vision that you just didn't let go of and you carried on and carried on and carried on for eight solid years by yourself with no role models and nobody telling you that you could do it and no one telling you that you're amazing and no one giving you the courage, the the encouragement that you needed. That's a powerful story. That's not the story of a victim. And quite frankly, you turned out all right. You know, obviously there are lots of bumps along the way and there still are. But what I'm saying is you can turn that story around. See the story for what it is. Even if your story was horrible, you know, see it for what it is. Don't make it worse than it is, but see it for what it is. Now take a step back and let's rewrite that story. But as well as rewriting it, you've got to live it. You've got to embody it. You've got to, mm, you know, like I I sort of think back to that confident nine-year-old girl and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to ride that confidence. I'm going to, I'm going to talk like I'm confident. Now, normally, actually, I have a throw when I'm doing my podcast, have a throw on me, have a hot water bottle. I'm like, no, I'm sitting up today. I'm embodying that confidence. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm getting that night, the spirit of that nine-year-old girl and putting it all over me today. You know, don't make the story worse than it is. Separate your emotions. See it for what it is, rewrite it and embody it. That's something you can definitely do, right? So at the end of this, after you've listened to this podcast, I want you to write your story down. Separate your emotion rewrite it. My third tip for getting rid of your fear right now is to try and recognize your own patterns. So pick three situations from your history. And just like I've done with my nine-year-old self and leaving my relationship and my father passing away. So three horrible situations where you really feel like, oh my God, I couldn't get out of from your history. So these are things that have happened already. Um, For each one, I want you to write down what the situation was exactly, right? So what was it? The rough 
time that you had? What was the actual situation, right? And then you could even make this into a table. And then in the middle bit, I want you to put the middle point, you know, the point just before your breakthrough, before you got out of that situation. But what happened then? You know, that was my eight years. In my eight years of being without my mom and, you know, what happened there? What was your mindset? What were you doing? What were you thinking? How were you, you know, acting, interacting? What happened in that in that point? And then I want you to think about your turning point. So this is what exactly, like that moment where you were like, okay, no more. What was your turning point? What was that point where you said, no, not anymore. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to allow the situation to overcome me. I'm not going to let fear continue to rule my life. What was your turning point? I want you to write down your rough time, so pick these three situations from your history, write down what it was, number one, what the situation was. Number two, I want you to write down your middle point, okay? Number three, I want you to write down your turning point. And number four, I want you to write down exactly what you did. So when you've written all of those down, you can look back at those three situations and pretty much figure out your patterns. Figure out if you're the sort of person that needs a helping hand. If you're the sort of person that loves to exercise and it gets you out of it, if you're the sort of person that needs um, to hit rock bottom, whatever it is that you do, whatever your patterns are, look at it objectively and, and, and figure out the kind of things that you need or that you've needed to be able to get out of situations that have worked for you successfully and then apply that. Use that again. Literally, just use it again. Number four, my fourth tip for getting rid of fear right now is to start moving physically. I know I've mentioned about physical exercise really saving my life. The reason why I think that actually works, um, and actually Tony Robbins talks about this in some of his teachings. He talks about like changing your physiological state, like physically changing your state because he gets people excited and, you know, and he talks about how like you're at your peak state and you can make decisions best when you're feeling in your peak. He talks about how changing your physiological state makes a huge difference. It changes the, the he's, not, he's not a scientist really, but I'm just telling you what he said, but it just changes your biochemical reactions and it, it changes your state. I mean, without even thinking about the science, if you think about it, when you get up and go for a walk, how does that make you feel? When you go up and down the stairs, how does that make you feel? When you go for a run, when you lift heavy weights, like I'm ridiculously excited when I go to the gym. I, I hit the gym at ridiculous hours, like 5am, 4.30, like it's ridiculous, but it doesn't matter what time it is. I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm like, I'm excited, you know? And then the London Physio, my company has recently released physical products. So I'm usually excited to like use our skipping ropes, use our resistance bands, but it doesn't matter what time it is. I'm literally like, I'm working out. Like when I work out now, it changes everything. It cha oh my God, it changes everything. So my number four practical tip to help you get rid of your fear right now is to go and work out. And that might look different for different people. If yours is walking up and down the stairs, do it. If yours is going to the gym at six in the morning, do it. I don't care what you do, but do something physical that pushes your boundaries. Not even just like, oh, something that you normally do. No, no, no. Something physical that pushes your boundaries, period. Do that. It changes your mind. And it also gives you this, like, you're training your brain to understand that actually this is a non-negotiable. Like you're shocking your system into making a change. You are doing the exact opposite of what your body wants you to do, which is right now because you're fearful and you're caged in this idea of fear. Um, your body wants you to be still. Your body wants you to be in spasm. Your body wants you to do nothing. But you are training your mind to literally be like, uh-uh, we're getting up, we're going to do something, right? So do that, do that, and then be consistent. Do it every day. You see people getting into like ice baths, like I, I just don't, I would probably never do that <laughs> because I do other things to shock my system, but 
that's the same psychology. It's the idea that you're doing something that you don't want to do or you're pushing your boundaries every day because you are telling your mind that you're in control. And this is a non-negotiable. You're pretty much telling fear that even though I don't want to do this thing, even though I am fearful of doing this thing, I'm going to do it anyway. All right. And it's a non-negotiable because I'm in charge. So do something physical that pushes your boundaries. Okay. Number five is my favorite. This is something that I'm actually practicing right now. Um, It's to figure out how to help somebody else in exactly the same situation, right? So this is my fifth tip for getting rid of your fear right now. Figure out how you can help someone else in the same situation or a similar situation. Now, the reason why I think this is great is number one, it gives you a reason to get out of your own head. You're not sat there constantly thinking, oh my God, it's all about me. Because this is what fear does to you. It really makes you think it's all about you. You're the only person in this situation. This is all bad. The world is against you. It's all about you, 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 and you're the victim. But when I tell you that you're not the only one that's going through it, When I lost my dad, I suddenly realized that I joined this club of people who have lost their parents, but not just people who have lost their parents, like people like me who weren't ready to lose their parents. You know, there are parents that have lived a good long life. (laughs) My dad was only 80 something. He was still able to walk around. He was still, you know, he was, he was great. He was exercising. He was traveling. I wasn't ready to lose him. And I suddenly just realized that, wow, there are people who didn't even get to see their parents get to 70, 60, 50, 40. There are people who didn't even know their parents. And I just joined this invisible club. Adults like me who were old enough to look after ourselves, but were young enough to be daddy's girls still, you know, and taking myself out of that situation and actually looking, you know, into the community and actually going, how can I help someone else who's been in this situation? How can I be there for someone else who's been in this situation? And not even just grief, because grief is complicated. Grief has different layers, right? Um, Because sometimes you lose someone you don't even like, but the grief is still there, right? So there's so many different layers and you can't always be there for other people because we're not always equipped um, to do that, whilst, especially whilst you're still dealing with your grief, but also because we're not necessarily professionals at doing that. But it might be something like giving money, food, anything. Think about someone who is less fortunate than you and don't get so consumed by your situation because you don't have it as bad. Someone else has it worse than you. It doesn't make your situation any less validating, but somebody else has it worse than you, or someone else just has it bad too. How about that? You know, think about a way to help the greater community. Think about the way to help someone else. It would make you, um, look outside of your situation. It would make you appreciative of what you have. And it's not in an egotistic way. You can't do it like that. It can't be, I'm doing it to make myself feel better. No, it has to be that you genuinely see the moment that you're in as an opportunity to stop and reflect on the things that you have and how other people don't necessarily have them and how they could benefit from it. The idea that someone is not expecting something, right? You don't even, half the time when I give, I don't even know the people I give to. I would always ask a friend, do you know someone who needs something, right? Because I'm not into the whole idea of I'm giving you, so you must spend this money like this. No, like the idea for me is imagine just sitting in your living room and just thinking, oh my God, I, I could do with some food. I could do with some money. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, someone who's not related to you, someone who's like out of nowhere, someone blesses you. For me, that does so many things. It restores faith in humanity, but it also helps me believe in miracles. In my darkest times when I'm fearful or when I'm stressed or when I'm worried, it helps me realize that miracles could happen, that actually I don't have to sit there and figure out how it's going to happen, that somebody somewhere on the other side of the world may just suddenly be touched to help me, you know? And if I can be that person to someone else, then why not? 
it helps in a lot of ways. Besides, the idea of giving, you give whatever you need. It always comes back to you tenfold, 100%. Anyway, I really hope this has been really helpful. We have talked about a lot of things. We've talked about fear and you know, we've talked about, I've shared a little bit of my story with you. I've shared some of my examples of when I had some rough times and my middle moments and my breakthrough moments. And um, I've also shared five lessons that I've learned from looking back at my own patterns. Um, and, And then my five tips for helping you get rid of fear right now. I want you to know that I'm still learning. I'm a human being just like you are. I'm just as fearful as you in lots of different situations. Um, But by looking back at my history and how I've dealt with things without the experience, having not been in those situations ever before, um, it's really helped me understand my patterns. And I think, you know, Tony Robbins has really hit the nail on the head with this one. He, like I said, I I mean, I don't think it's a new thing. Um, The fact that we have seasons, we know we have winter as a rainy season or or dry season, depending on what part of the world you're in, or, you know, summers, winters, springs, fall. We all know that we have patterns. We know that there are times in the year that it's meant to snow. And we know that there are times in the year where we get our bikinis out. And I just want to remind you that regardless of how consuming your fear is, This is a season that too shall pass. You don't need to worry so much. Just breathe. Just breathe. If you need some help, you need to reach out to me. It's totally fine. If you want to sit with me and have a chat, totally fine. My email is joy at thelondonphysio.co.uk. Joy, J-O-Y at T-H-E, the London, L-O-N-D-O-N, physio, P-H-Y-S-I-O dot co dot UK. If you want to have a um, a chat with me in a life coaching type session, I my style is very much, I'm a listen. I'm going to listen. I'll throw a few questions at you, but I'm a listen. You know, it's all about you. If you need to listen to lots of different podcasts, um, or you need to meditate, or you need some ideas. I'm actually going to put in the show notes, I'm going to put some podcasts that have helped me. I'm going to put in some books that have helped me as well. I'm going to, you know, share as much as I can in the show notes, but I really hope this video has helped you. And if it has, please come over to YouTube, leave your comments, let me know the things that you've done to help you overcome fear and anxiety. Um, Share whatever has helped you from the tips that I've given you or, you know, Anything else that you want the community to know, that you want to pull back into the community, come onto YouTube and uh, let's have a conversation in the comments. And until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. I will see you in the next episode. Bye.